Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you are listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. Happy Tuesday, everyone. Happy New Year. We have a new day for the podcast. This is our first Tuesday. If you are a regular listener, then you heard my announcement last year that Ratchet and Respectable is now going to go two times a week, which I'm really, really excited about. But we do have new days. So no more Thursdays. We're on Tuesday and Friday. So please turn your notifications on. If you're used to just coming here every Thursday, you will be sorely disappointed on Thursdays. But if you have notifications on, then you'll just get a reminder and be like, oh, there's Demetria. She has things to say again twice a week, so you don't have to go looking for the podcast. New year, same shit. Everyone's very excited about the new year, which I kind of sort of get and then don't because everyone's like, oh, we survived 2020. But it just seems like everyone's very much like, oh, it's a, a new year, new beginnings, reset. And I'm just like, was there a reset? Is it a new beginning? Because I'm still in LA and it's, it's closed. I didn't have a great holiday It wasn't a bad holiday. I just like didn't do shit. It's almost like Christmas and New Year's never really happened. I stayed in LA for Christmas. I binge watched Bridgerton. It's that new series. Um, It's not by Shonda Rhimes, but it is by her production company. I'll give you my review of it in a minute. I actually liked it. I liked it a lot. But I, um, I binge watched Bridgerton all day on Christmas. And then I ordered Indian food, which was all right. And then New Year's, what did I do? I went to my friend's house and I did manage to stay up until midnight, but I think I was like knocked out on her couch by 1230. Yeah. And New Year's Day, my friend bought this puzzle. It was like a 500 piece puzzle. She and another friend who were at the house for New Year's Eve, it was just the three of us. They stayed up until five o'clock in the morning, drinking champagne and working on this puzzle. And I woke up the next morning and saw the puzzle and was like, Y'all worked on this for five hours and all y'all got was the border? And so my girl was like, well, then you work on the puzzle. See how far you could get. I spent eight hours on New Year's Day working on a puzzle. And if I got one-fourth of it, I'd be exaggerating. Puzzle was hard as shit. So now the puzzle is set up on her dining room table. And I'm periodically going to go over there and, like, work on the puzzle more. Because now I'm, like, obsessed with it. I had no idea I liked puzzles. But puzzles in Bridgerton and some other shows were the highlights of, of my holiday season. I'm actually kind of excited to be back to work because I was a little bored over the holidays, to be quite honest with you. I know that sounds weird, but I actually like what I do. And I've got some good, exciting projects coming up. I think one of them is probably going to debut next week. I'm waiting for the green light to say something about that one. And the other one is the date for Don't Waste Your Pretty. I've got a TV film coming out this year. I can't give any details away. It's so frustrating because I want to tell you so much about it. I'm excited to get the ball rolling on that. I'm at my best when I'm busy. I don't really like to just commonly relax, which is bad because, you know, I'd be on here like I'm burnt out. This is something I struggle with, clearly. Oh, Ratchet and Respectable merchandise. I spent most of my holidays shipping. I'm still shipping. When I finish recording this today, I'll be doing my daily post office drop. I have done a post office drop every single day that it's been open since December 2nd. So y'all bought a bunch of stuff and y'all are still buying a bunch of stuff. If you want Ratchet and Respectable merchandise, there are still some items left on the site. Let me look and see. I'll tell you what's available because most of it is sold out, which thank you. Let's see. 
The coffee mugs are sold out. Some of them still haven't shipped yet. I'm still waiting for another batch of them to come in. If you want a flask because you need a little pick-me-up to get through America until Biden is inaugurated and we get some adults back in power, I do have some flasks that are still available on the site. And I'm looking at the inventory list right now. There are still hoodies and extra small and small. There are 3X sweatshirts and there are extra small and small sweatshirts. Everything else is gone. T-shirts, I still have at least one of each in extra small to extra large. And just for clarity, I did have sizes up to a 4X. But you know, plush madams was like, we want to shop too. And shop they did. Thank you, ladies. And in V-necks, I still have sizes from extra small to 2X. I also did mention before that there is no restock on the Ratchet and Respectable merchandise um, that's available. So once this is gone, it'll be back again in October 2021. Otherwise, yeah, what else is going on? There's so much going on. I'm like, oh, what else is going on? Like there's not a whole political scandal happening at the moment. I'm trying to avoid talking about this Trump thing until the end, but it's really like prominent in my head right now. What other good things do we have to talk about? A lot of good TV over the holidays. I watched a bunch of stuff. I love Bridgerton. It's the first Netflix project from Shonda Rhimes's Shondaland production company, but it's not technically a Shonda Rhimes project. It's um, Chris Van Dusen, who was a co-executive producer on Scandal. He's a white guy, in case you're curious, but he is the creator, the showrunner, and one of the writers, at least, for Bridgerton. I loved it. Like I mentioned before, I binged it on Christmas Day. I love a big budget, over-the-top show. I love when you can see the money spent well. This is something I always say about The Crown. I was reading something that said the costume department created 7,500 costumes for the show. And I was like, oh, they released the fabric for that show. Loved it. Um, the hair, especially the queen, like she had those like bouffants and then she had afros. Oh, it was so, it was so good. But the homes, the locations, the sets, a lot of that stuff I thought was on location was actually sets that they built. Just beautiful, 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 beautiful. I love the jewels. I love the romance. I was talking online about how I started my career editing romance novels for four or five years. The latent romance editor in me was very pleased. I loved it. I really did. The men, the men were fine. The lead, what is his name? Reggae, Reggae John Page. Is that his name? I know his first name is Reggae. I don't know if it's Reggae John or Reggae Jean. The Duke of Hastings, fine ass. He's gorgeous. Here's the crazy thing. I have a friend in D.C. that looks exactly like this dude. Similar demeanor to the Duke of Hastings. Slightly arrogant, but still likable. Really, he can be nice. He has his ways. But he's someone I'm very fond of. And like for the first three episodes, I was like, there is something familiar about the Duke of Hastings. Where do I know him from? And not just from Sylvie's Love, because he was also in that, which I watched like a couple days prior. I was like, why is this dude so familiar? And then it dawned on me. So I text my friend and I was like, bro, your stock just went all the way up. You look like the lead in this new Shonda Rhimes show on Netflix. So he was like, let me see. He don't look like me. I'm an original. So I sent him the picture and he was like, that don't look like me. Look at his hairline. 
And I was like, look at his hairline. I was like, who the fuck cares about his hairline? The Duke of Hastings does have a widow's peak. This is a non-factor to me. Like, I don't care. You could keep it. You can shave it. You can electrolysis it. You could do nothing to it. Like, do you see the everything else on this man? Ain't nobody looking at his hairline. And he was like, his hairline. Oh, he doesn't look like me. That's insulting. But then he got like 10 other emails in the same day with people being like, oh my God, you look like the Duke of Hastings. Then, and then he hit me back and was like, yeah, so... A lot of other people see it too. Maybe I just don't see it. And I was like, my dude, you even move like this man. He's like, he moves like me. Men are crazy. There's no point to me telling you that. There's also this boxer that the Duke of Hastings, it's like his bestie and they take out their frustration and male aggression with one another, but like in a boxing physical way, but not like in a sexual same sex kind of way, like a, a platonic bromance. He is Martin's, I cannot pronounce people's name, Martin's Mhangbi. I-M-H-A-N-G-B-E. I don't know how to pronounce that. I just butchered it and I'm really sorry, sir. But he's fine as hell. I mean, big fine. I don't know anybody who looks like him, unfortunately. Because, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I like. I like that very much. So, the brown boxer. I like Queen Charlotte because she was black. It didn't shock me that she was black. I knew Queen Charlotte was rumored to be black. And I'm not sure how I knew Maybe when I was bouncing around Charlotte, I read it or someone mentioned it because Charlotte, North Carolina is the Queen City and it's called the Queen City because of Queen Charlotte. And I'm sure somebody either told me or I read that, you know, she was black, right? And then I looked up a, a picture or a portrait rather and I was like, oh shit, that's a black woman. I mean, she light as hell, but you know, black people know black people. Black people can look at anybody and be like, oh, they black. Between the edges, the nose, the mouth, the tips of the ears... Black people know black people. And I was like, oh, okay. If that's an accurate painting of what she looked like, then that's a black woman. I'm not saying she's like 100% black, like had two black parents black, but a black parent, at least a half black parent, definitely. And I love that this whole world of like, you know, high society that this black woman is, is reigning over it. I love Lady Dansbury, 50s, 60s. I, I can't tell. You never really know how old black people are, but she was beautiful. Her brows... Her hats, man wore some hats. Oh, I did see some people say that they couldn't get into it. And I thought their assessments were fair. Some people just didn't like the interracial couple. They were like, why do I want to watch eight hours of this really fine black man lusting after this mediocre white woman? And I was like, is, is she mediocre? She wasn't fancy white. Like there's some bad white chicks, like absolutely. She was pretty. Admittedly, she was a little bland. She wasn't bad looking though. The white girl didn't bother me most of the season until she got like real white girly. I'm about to give you a spoiler alert in case you want to like fast forward for like the next two minutes or so. There's a scene that qualifies as rape of the black man by the white woman. You can clean it up and spin it as many different ways as you want to, but it's, it's rape. Because if a man did that to a woman, we blatantly call it rape. But she rapes him, her husband at the time. And when he essentially is like, you betrayed me he never uses the word but it's clear what he's describing she was like yeah but you lied to me and you didn't tell me and you took advantage of my naivete and I was like he did he did take advantage of your your ignorance which your mother failed you and yes he did kind of lie by omission about something and he should not have done that in what world does that make rape acceptable 
And that's kind of where the series starts to derail for me. It gets very melodramatic after that. Because you just raped your husband and you like refuse to apologize for it. And are really just like, well, you deserved it and get over it because you weren't fully honest with me. And I'm like, wait, what? I was fine with her until her like, you know, the worst of white women jumped out. And I was like, oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I, I see how this is problematic for some. Yeah. A lot of conversation about colorism, which I also think is a fair complaint. It's a show about the 1700s in London, and it, it's presented as colorblind casting and a racism-free world, sort of. It's a mostly white cast, but there are black people dotted about in positions of power. Like I've mentioned, the queen is sort of presiding over this whole social circle, and she's a black woman. And then Lady Dansbury, who I just mentioned with the hats and the eyebrows, who I'm obsessed with, she plays a prominent role. And the hero of the show is this black guy. And most of the women, actually all of the women who are interested in him are very rich, prominent white women and their mothers who want their daughters to be with him. And the fathers never say anything about like, hey, this guy's black. I don't like that. He's a catch and his race is never brought up as any kind of factor in why women would want to be with him or why they shouldn't be with him. It's almost like no one even sees that he's black. There is a commentary by Lady Dansbury where she says, look at the way that the world has opened up to us. Once the king married this black queen and showed that he loved her, you know, we were existing in two separate societies. She doesn't specifically say black and white, but it's heavily implied. And then she says, after the king showed this love for Queen Charlotte and he married her, then society began to accept black people and everyone is living happily ever after. And then she literally says, and she's like, love conquers all. And I was like, is that how it works? Is it, is it that simple? And people are like, that's stupid. I, I, I see how that could be problematic. And then I was like, oh, a white guy was in charge of this? I see why that got said. No black person would ever write no shit like that. The colorism part of it, which, you know, colorism is an extension of racism. People did point out that the black people in the show had the most scandalous storylines and the dark-skinned characters were either evil or violent. So there's the boxer who I was like fawning about. He's a boxer, so he fights. He's violent, but only in the ring. He was like a normal dude, like when he wasn't, you know, doing his job as a boxer. But he was a dark-skinned man. And then the Duke of Hastings' father was evil for no fucking reason. I was like, good God, y'all done made this man worse than Mr. in Color Purple. But he was dark-skinned. And then there is a scandal in the show. One of the women is pregnant out of wedlock and she is not dark-skinned, but she is at least half black. And people were like, why does the black girl have to have the most scandalous storyline? Why couldn't this very scandalous storyline happen to one of the white girls? And I was like, that's fair. That's fair. But the biggest problem for me, honestly, was the rape scene because it's a rape scene. And then the whole premise that leads up to the rape scene. And I understand this is like the 1700s. There is no such thing as sex ed in school. But like this woman got whole married and didn't have any understanding, no, like no basic concept of like how babies were made. She might as well believe the stork brought them. And I was like, I understand. Again, different world different different social mores about sex and discussing sex but i was like you and your girlfriends never had a conversation about anything like 
you and your servant girls, like, because that's eventually who has to tell her how the whole thing worked. Like, none of y'all ever had any conversations. There was never any innuendo. Like, this woman gets married and is a whole wife to a whole husband and has no concept of, like, a sperm fertilizes an egg and a baby grows. And this whole man who is well-traveled and been out in the world, he's a little older than the, the heroine, he gets married, which he didn't want to do. And then he doesn't want to have children. He tells her that he can't have children, but the truth is he doesn't want to. His plan to avoid having children with his wife was to have sex with her near constantly and use the pull-out method. I was like, half the population of the world exists by some mofo trying to use the pull-out method. It is ineffective. Everyone I know who got pregnant in their 20s, it was because of the pull-out method. It's unreliable. But I was like, so this was your plan. You were going to marry this woman that you're really attracted to and you have amazing sexual chemistry with, and you were just going to pull out for like the next 30 years? An old girl is so naive about sex, she doesn't even understand why he's pulling out. Like, he would pull out and come, and he'd be like, oh. And she'd be like, does it hurt? <laughs> Look, I know you're trying to be true to the time, but I was like, we're airing this show in the year of our Lord 2020. Like, you got to give the people a little more than this, because this is ridiculous. But I still liked it. I still liked it. I watched Sylvie's Love with Tessa Thompson. And a man I'm going to call Kerry Washington's husband because that's what he is. That's who he is. He's a former football player, too. A very successful former football player who at one time had a really big contract. I was interested in him being a do-right man for Essence one year. And I want to say he had like a $54 million contract. Kerry Washington ain't no slouch, but she also married very well. He's actually a really good actor. He has presence on screen. He gave me very much Billy D vibes from Lady Sings the Blues. I liked looking at him and I liked his energy very, very much on screen. And he and Tessa, I thought they had beautiful energy. It was simple and sweet, but also electric. Like I loved it. I saw some people being like, these people have no chemistry. And I was like, really? Are we watching the same thing? I loved it. Beautiful budget, beautifully shot, Beautiful clothes. Every outfit Tessa Thompson wore was so beautifully tailored. And then she was so beautifully lit. Like, it was, oh, I love that film. I watched it four times in, like, two days. Like, I, it would go off and I would just put it on again. Like, I really enjoyed it. I would call it a love story. It wasn't always romantic. wasn't always pretty. But I love the way that these two people felt something for each other across time and space and energy like every time they reconnected that thing that that drew them to each other still existed and they had to explore it and see what it was I thought it was I thought it was beautiful it reminded me a lot of Love Jones like they meet in a record store when they fall in love they're sharing a cigarette and then sharing a bike which also happens to Neil Long and Lorenz Tate and Love Jones and I was like is sharing a cigarette and riding a bike together a movie sign that the couple was in love. In Sylvie's Love, the hero plays the saxophone as opposed to Love Jones where they're in a smoky club and the hero, Lorenz Tate Darius, is doing poetry backed by a jazz band with a prominent saxophone. But I was talking about it online, just like fawning, fawning, fawning. <laughs> and this woman was like, is it really romantic? Really, is it? <laughs> And I was like, well, you know, and I knew where she was going with it because I'm just like, all right. So, and this is a spoiler alert. When the heroine and hero meet, 
She is technically engaged to another man. He lives away. He's been sending letters that she hasn't been returning. So technically she's engaged and she probably shouldn't be dating. And there are old folks who would say you're single until you're married, which is technically true. But if you're going to be engaged or in a relationship, it's probably not best to be dating other people. Although I can tell you of several instances in my family where people were engaged when they met the person that they currently married to. I get the feeling sometimes like it was a thing to be like engaged to somebody and then meet somebody and then marry that new person and it was just like all okay, but like back in the day. Because I don't feel like that would fly now. I feel like we call that grimy in the modern era. But they are not in the modern era. So perhaps they are subject to a different standard. I knew where the woman was going with this. And so she was like, you know, is it a love story? Because maybe, you know, it's a love story from their perspective. But like, what about the guy she was engaged to? Because like you're engaged to a whole woman, right? This woman starts dating somebody else, gets pregnant by old boy who then moves overseas. You marry this woman, raise this child as your own. And then she cheats on you again with old boy when he comes back in town. Then she leaves you after she cheats on you. You leave never to be seen again. And the daughter that you've been raising as your own since she was born, do you ever see her again? What kind of trauma did that child experience when her whole daddy walked out never to be seen again and this new man showed up like, hey, little girl, I'm going to push you on the swing now. Ask her ex-husband if that's a love story. And I was like, well, you know, when you put it like that, just ruin it. <laughs> Sometimes love is complicated and inconvenient. And at the same time, I'm going to say that like God's plan for you is not someone else's spouse. Don't try this shit at home. Enjoy the drama on screen. Do not invite this kind of drama into your life. Not in 2021. We're talking about, oh, it's a new year, new things. The date change as far as I'm concerned. But let's try. Let's try with this new date change to make better decisions. Oh, it's almost time to talk about that thing that I don't want to talk about. Well, we're going to have to talk about it. Oh, no, but I have more things to talk about. I watched Soul. Did you see that with Jamie Foxx? Jamie Foxx is the voice of... I don't remember the man's name. A middle-aged black man. He is a high school band teacher with musician ambitions. And he's had touch-and-go moments throughout his career. He finally seems to get his big break. And walking down the street, he steps into a manhole. He is seriously injured, but he is not dead. His soul goes to... A dark space with a bright light, which I assume is heaven. So it's an animated film. The first eight minutes of the film, the guy is like a whole well-drawn, complete black person. And there's other black people. And, and it, it's a beautifully, it's a beautiful, beautiful Pixar film, right? And then after he steps into this manhole and he goes to heaven, he's this little like blue blob. This complaint of Disney films came up the first time I saw it. It may not be the first time it happened, but the first time I saw it was with Princess Tiana in The Princess and the Frog. And she was a frog for most of the film. And people were like, well, why does the black girl have to be an animal? Because in all the other princess films, the princess gets to be a whole human or a princess for the film. So now we have this film. And after 10 minutes, the guy turns into a blob. Yeah, like I wanted to watch black people. I didn't want to watch like a blob. And I thought this film was about music 
I thought it was about the soul that goes into soul music, but it's really a commentary on life and death and what it really means to live and find your purpose. So it's a really interesting commentary on all of those things. And that part I really enjoyed, but the part about the black guy being a blob, a soul, like I understood it in context of the movie where we're talking about like life and death and heaven and afterlife and all of those things. Like I got it, but I was just like, we're going to show black people, but not really show black people thing. And then the soul meets another soul who is a racially unidentified soul, but is voiced by Tina Fey, who is a white woman. So the black man's soul and then the voice of Tina Fey's soul become like mentor-mentee type of relationship. They end up going back to earth and then the black man's soul is dropped into a cat. I'm not making this shit up. And then the white woman's soul goes into the black man's body. So we're back to seeing visuals of a black man again, but he not really black because his soul is a white woman. I didn't care for it. And I saw that Disney brought in like a bunch of black consultants because they wanted to get things about black people correct. They had some black animators. One of them was a young black woman. I want to say she's like fresh out of college. The way the black people looked on on screen, the men, the women, um, like the mothers, the aunties, the clothes were right, the hair was right, the movements were right. Like, yes, in the barbershop scene, one of the barbers, I was looking at the animation of the barber. I was like, that barber is fine. The barber is a whole cartoon. And then I was like, you know, who is this barber based on? I want to see the inspiration for this barber because like the cartoon is looking like something. I was like, am I looking lustfully at a cartoon? I was Anyway, the black people were drawn beautiful. They captured the culture and the look of it, the feel of it. When the black guy gets the big opportunity, it's for a, a black woman saxophonist. It's for her band. She had like hips, she had beautiful hair, she had beautiful brown skin. Visually, they got it right. But I was like this, the black guy with the soul of a white woman, the black guy is the blob. Like it was just weird. And then the whole thing gets straightened out. Again, you might want to fast forward through this part if you don't want to spoil it. Like dude ends up getting what he wants. And then he decides he's going to give it all away so that the blob voiced by the white woman can have a chance to live. And I was just like, what? It's, it was just way too magical Negro for me. Oh, this black man is going to sacrifice himself in order for like the redemption and betterment of like the white person. And I was like, nah, y'all, no. Nah. I like the overall message of the film about your purpose, but the racial dynamics. I was like, I feel like y'all brought some black people in. I believe you when you said you did. And I feel like they, they tried. But I also would like to know what the original script was that black people were brought in to get it to this, where you've got a black person as a blob and then a cat and then is willing to like die for a white person. And I wanted to like it. I wanted to like it. And I didn't dislike it. I didn't think it was a horrible film. But in the same way, I went back and watched Bridgerton like, I don't know, six times probably at this point and was like, my mother hit me at 3.30 in the morning last night and was like, I'm obsessed with Bridgerton. My mother stayed up till five in the morning watching Bridgerton, which I totally get because I've watched it so many times. But I watched Bridgerton over and over and I watched Sylvie's Love over and over and I did not watch Soul again. And I don't think I will. Mm.
I watched it to support the blacks. I've done my part. In crazy white lady news, we have two stories this week. There's this clip. It's everywhere. It's from um, the Arlo Soho Hotel in New York City. This white lady, she's 22, she falsely accused a 14-year-old boy of stealing her cell phone and then physically attacked him. Have you seen this video? I saw the initial video of that the dad uploaded and it was all over the place. This white woman was screaming. The hotel manager seemed to be siding with the white woman. The father at some point in the video yells something like back up, get off, something like that. But it's not clear exactly what was happening. After his story started making the rounds, video footage from the hotel lobby was released. This woman like fucking attacked that kid. What the fuck is wrong with you, ma'am? And the child, the kid, I call him such because he's a 14-year-old boy. He is the son of a Grammy-winning jazz musician and his wife, who is a saxophone player for Beyonce. But the backstory is dad and son were at the hotel and the woman confronted, the story I'm reading says them, and accused the child of stealing her iPhone. But in what I've been piecing together, and I've read like a bunch of stories about this, it seems that dad and son decided they were going to get breakfast, but it seems the son went downstairs and the dad was coming after. I got the sense that the woman approached the son without the dad present. And then the dad arrives in the middle of this confrontation. And then I also couldn't figure out in reading this story why the woman was at the hotel because she wasn't a guest there at the time. She'd been a guest there a few days earlier and then she came back to the hotel for some unknown reason. She can't find her iPhone. She accuses this kid of stealing her iPhone and is just adamant that this kid show her his phone, which I was like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like an iPhone is not like some rare and precious jewel. Like everyone, their mom has an iPhone and it's not rare to see a 14 year old with an iPhone. You just saw a black kid with an iPhone and you assumed it must be yours because you can't find your iPhone. So this woman causes all this commotion. She accuses the kid. The hotel manager seems to side with her and is trying to get the kid to show the phone at that point, the dad is there and it's like, no, he's not showing you anything. At some point, this woman hops on this kid. And then at some other point, the Uber driver that it would seem that the woman took to this hotel, because how else would the Uber driver know to go back there? But at some point in all this confusion, an Uber driver returns and was like, hey, your phone, you left it in the car. And she's just like, oh, yeah, that's my phone. And then she just leaves. There's no police present to detain her. She doesn't apologize to this kid or his father for attacking this child, making this accusation, causing all this melee. She just dips. So the father releases the video and was like, look at this crazy shit that happened. It goes viral. Anything happens bad to black people, either Ben Crump, Al Sharpton, or both show up. So Ben Crump shows up. He and the family do a press conference. They're calling for this woman to be identified and arrested. But the white woman was eventually identified. She called into to CNN and she told them that she was actually assaulted during the altercation at the hotel. And when CNN ran this story, notably they said the network was not able to corroborate any claims 
with the investigators or with the hotel. The woman said she was concerned about how she was depicted in the video. She said it wasn't an accurate portrayal of who she is. And she said, quote, that's not who I am. I actually try very hard to make sure that I'm always doing the right thing. Is that like the go-to white woman response? Like after they do some blatantly racist, ignorant shit? It's not who I am. It's not who I am. But ma'am, we see you on video doing it. It might not be all of who you are, but that's who you are because you did that shit. I'll give you a it's not who I am if months or years have passed since you've done some crazy shit. But you can't do some crazy shit on Monday and then the following Monday be like, that's not who I am. Yes, it is. Um, CNN didn't publicly identify the woman and they said it was because of safety concerns unrelated to the incident. The chick jumped on a child. She didn't give two shits about that kid's safety, but now she wants folks to care about hers? Really? That woman better thank God. And she don't have enough sense to, I'm sure. She better thank God that boy was in the lobby with his daddy and not his mama. Had she jumped on that child or tried to with his mother standing there, his mama would have dog walked that bitch. And rightfully so. His father probably wanted to. And he probably did that quick calculation that black people do. If I turn this mother out, what the consequence is really going to be? If I, as a black man, punch this white lady right in her face as she rightfully deserves, what will this situation turn into? How will that bode for black me and for my black son? It probably would not have ended well for either of them, even though he would have been entirely in the right, given that this woman pounced on his child. I don't blame the father. Had his mama been there, she would have beat old girl's ass. And she probably would got arrested for beating old girl's ass. And even though these two seem gainfully employed and able to find good attorneys and make good bail, on general principle, on general principle, I'd have to start out with at least three Virgils on the GoFundMe. I'd have to add something on general principle because some people deserve an ass whipping, And the person who doles it out needs to be thanked. They need to know that they are appreciated. They need to know that a community of their peers doesn't find anything wrong with what they did and actually is willing to support them figuratively, emotionally, and financially. You know what? Four Virgils. We're going to start out with four Virgils for ma'am. At least. The woman's face was everywhere. Her name is hard to come by. The media is protecting her, even though she assaulted a kid. Assaulted a kid. A 14-year-old. You're a whole grown woman. 22. Now, you know, sometimes I talk about stuff that 22-year-olds do, and I'd be like, yo, it was 22, they didn't really know. Like, we talked about Will Smith and Janet Hubert and, and how he sunk her career, which she had a really full, robust career, if you look at IMDb. But I don't think at 22, Will Smith could have had a full understanding of what it was like to go through a divorce, and he didn't have a full understanding of, on the career ramifications of complaining about a black woman, a dark-skinned black woman, as Janet Huber pointed out, complaining about her demeanor on set. You don't have a grasp of that ish at 22. You do have a grasp at 22 that jumping on a goddamn kid is criminal, inappropriate, morally and ethically wrong. After she assaulted a child, she doesn't deserve to be protected. Unlike what she did, I don't want anyone to hop on her. I don't want anyone to harm her. I don't want anyone to beat her. But if somebody like, I don't know, did some wild shit like what they did to Pelosi and Mitch McConnell. Somebody went to Nancy Pelosi's house and left pig's blood. Let me, let me look that up real quick. Her home was vandalized with a pig's head 
and fake blood. Mitch McConnell, his house, somebody also vandalized his house and they sprayed, where's my money on his door. Now that's some crazy, creepy, scary shit. And if somebody did that to the home but a girl who pounced on a child, all I'm going to do is shake my head and be like, well, she shouldn't have pounced on a kid. Poor kid. I read that the kid was in therapy. His parents put him in therapy because that's a traumatic fucking situation. And they don't want their kid fucked up for life over it. It sounds like there's some good parenting going on in that home. Some good care for the child. Which is good. I hope the boy is all right. That's a horrible thing that terrible witch did. He'd been following this Hilaria story. It's ridiculous. I, I almost feel ridiculous talking about it. It's so ridiculous. Here's a fun fact. When I first moved to LA, I was under contract with this production company to pitch Ratchet and Respectable as a TV talk show of, of sorts. It didn't go anywhere, obviously. And thankfully, the production team, when they came to me, they were like, we listen to Ratchet and Respectable and we really love your voice. We really love your perspective and we really love the topics that you talk about. Like you get black women and we really want to bring your voice to television. And you know, I'm very wary of, of television for many reasons. I'm not interested in, in playing the role of, of sassy black girl and especially not black girl villain. I mean, I totally am the villain in some people's story, but I'm also the hero too. I'm a multifaceted person, like all people, but nevertheless. So they gave me this really great pitch and I was like, oh, you get me. And I signed this agreement with them to, to put together a pilot of what this show could look like and pitch with them. After we started working together on what the show could actually look like, I was like, oh, mm -mm, y'all don't get it. I thought you got it, but like you, you don't get it. They wanted me to like do interviews while sitting in a spa and my hair all tied up in a towel. It was real like pink and fluffy and, and light. And I was like, have y'all met me? I feel like y'all had an idea. And then y'all were like, oh, we just gonna insert black girl here. And I was like, and you might could do that with a different kind of black girl, but I'm not the kind of black girl that you're seeking. But I will say this, one of the segments that they had was like white wine. And so I was going to pour wine and either me alone or with someone else, we were going to talk about white people whining. And if this show had come to fruition, I think this story about Hilaria Baldwin would have undoubtedly been featured in this segment. Please tell me you've heard the story of Hilaria Baldwin. If you have not, let me unfortunately bring you up to date. Hilaria Baldwin is the wife of Alec Baldwin actor Alec Baldwin. She has spent years presenting herself as a Spanish woman, Spanish as in born in Spain, English as a second language Spanish, where she has a whole accent and will be like, mm, how do you say, how do you say? Okay. You know, that chick is from Boston, like Boston, America, the Celtics, the tea party, like what Atlanta is to black people. Boston is to white people that Boston girl is white, white and been running around telling people, Oh no, I'm from Spain. No, she wasn't. She got out on social media about the inconsistency of her Spanish accent. And at first she denied it. And as the story started to pick up steam and other people started to notice, they were like, wait. So then she was forced to admit like, yes, yes, I am a white woman from Boston. What? 
So the New York Times sees the kerfluffle. They catch up with old girl and they were like, ma'am, can you clarify? Because what people are accusing you of, that you spent decades of your life pretending to be from Spain and your ass is from whole Boston as in New England? Explain yourself. Make this make sense for us. And she was like, yeah, um, I spent time in Spain as a child and sometimes I went to school there. And so the Times was like, you know what? Okay, you know, we'll hear you out. Like, give us some dates. Let us help you make this story make sense. Because, ma'am, you out here looking crazy right now. She was like, yeah, like, I'm not, I'm not discussing dates. Like, that's just too much. Like, people are doing the most over something that's so insignificant. Like, no. So the Times went and did their own digging. And they were like, yeah, we found no school records in Spain. We found all the school records for Boston. The lady's full of shit. And I was trying to figure out, I was like, you're a wealthy white woman. One of the good, good papers ran a picture of her childhood home. And they were like, yeah, this is the $4 million house that she grew up in. And her parents bought it in the 1980s. Apparently they did vacation in Spain on the regular. But spending summers in Spain does not make you Spanish. Like you learn Spanish, which this woman did. Apparently her Spanish is pretty good. You may learn how to cook some food. You may learn some culture, but it doesn't make you Spanish. Old girl didn't know or didn't care because she, despite being a whole rich white woman from an upper class family, decided she wanted to be a different kind of white woman. She wanted to be spicy white, which is so weird because I was like all the discrimination that immigrants face like across the board. I mean, I guess it tells you the difference that people see in immigrants. Like this woman is a whole American and wants to pretend to be a European immigrant, a white European immigrant. So you still keep the whiteness, but you get like some additional culture. You're not white rice, you paella. You've actually got some culture. Spicy, special, different, exotic. She's taking on this whole accent. Meanwhile, people who do speak English as a second language and speak fluent English get discriminated against and get thought of as ignorant because they have an accent, because English is not their native language. It's so, it's so gross. It's so gross. And I, I mean, I get it, like, in a sense, like, spicy way. And they were like, girl. They were like, when she met Alec Baldwin, he had this huge crush on Selma Hayek, who was already with somebody else. And she knew that Alec Baldwin liked, liked Spanish women. And her ass sat up here and pretended to be Spanish in order to catch Baldwin. And I was like, is that the source of this crazy? Like you pretended to be a whole European woman to catch a man. And I was like, does that mean she's keeping this accent up at the house? Yeah, that's some crazy white lady shit. I understood this whole like passing for another ethnicity thing when it was like the Rachel Dozels of the world. I'm like, you're a mediocre white woman who's not going to get a whole lot of attention. If you take your mediocre white woman looks and give a tan to them, and then go hang out in black circles and call yourself a light-skinned black woman, the combination of racism and colorism will allow you to sit in black circles at least, higher up on the social strata because of your complexion, because of your hair texture, because of your features. That made sense to me. But I was like, is being European white higher than being Amer higher on the social strata than being American white? I thought white folks was just white folks. And I thought American white would rank higher than European white. But maybe this is kind of how like with black folks, like black American is just considered regular. But if you get like 
Trini black or Dominican black or maybe Ethiopian black because that's like considered like a better black because the spirit because the stereotype is African-American women of which I am one are trash. So if you can get a black person from another country, they're feminine, they're more focused on education, they have a better work ethic, they're sexier, etc. Is that the same concept? If so, that's fucked up. Black people need to gather their own people on that shit. But white people, you need to gather your people too. Especially this chick. I'm just like, because she has doubled down on like, I haven't done anything wrong. And I was like, but yeah, you have. Like all the space that you were taking up for, for Spanish women, the awards you were receiving, the magazine covers, the accolades. That's not okay. Nor is just trying on someone else's culture or ethnicity like it's a costume. How is that okay? How is that okay? It's not okay. It's not. Two, credit, discredit, I guess. Baldwin is standing by his wife, who is also the mother of, I don't know, does he have children? Do he have children with his first wife? I have no idea, and I'm not going to look it up. This woman, Hillaria, Hillary, has five of his children. He is standing by the mother of five of his children. He defended her saying that she has done nothing wrong and he challenged people to find out why someone would want to expose his wife instead of focusing on the truth of the deception, the long con that his wife has been running on the public and maybe even him. Womp. Last but not least, my least favorite subject, the damn occupant. I'm so sick of this man. He will be out of office. It'll be 15 days from when you hear this. I'm recording this on Monday. Yesterday, Sunday, quiet afternoon. It's the last vacation day of the holidays before we all return to work in the morning. Those of us who are still working, the Washington Post gets a hold of an audio recording from a conversation that happened on Saturday. It is a conversation between the occupant in the White House and the Georgia Secretary of State, a man named Brad Raffensperger, who is notably a Republican. He voted for Trump twice. Your boy Orangey is caught on tape trying to convince the Georgia Secretary of State to quote, find 11,780 votes which is one more than we have because we won the state. He also suggested the secretary of state recalculate. Those are, that's a quote, recalculate the ballots. Orangey encouraged the Georgia secretary of state to act fast before January 5th today. For those of you who are listening on Tuesday, Orangey said, you would be respected, really respected, if this can be straightened out before the election. The election that he is referring to is the runoff race for the Senate in Georgia, which will ultimately determine who controls the new Senate, Republicans or Democrats. All this damn time, I thought Trump was just out here saying he won the election for show. The popular idea that I saw floated around that I had believed in was that he has all this debt and when he leaves office, he has all these legal problems floating around. And I thought he was raising all this money from his base, telling them that he was fighting election fraud and he was going to figure out a way to use this hundreds of millions of dollars that he raised to 
pay his personal debt or fight his legal battles. I don't know if any of that's legal, but shit being illegal ain't ever stopped him before and ain't stopped him on Saturday when he was on the phone with the Georgia Secretary of State and a whole bunch of attorneys on both sides. Stay with me. I thought Trump was legit running a con. He knew he lost the election. He was making this show and this fuss to get more money from his base to take care of his personal shit. I never in a million years thought he really didn't believe that he lost the election because that's crazy. I'll give you like the Hillary factor, right? When it was Trump versus Hillary, election night, they couldn't call it. And Hillary was like WTF. She was not trying to concede. She was like, nah, this can't be happening. So she made no concession. She made no appearance. She showed up the following day dressed in mourning. I want to say it was purple and black. And people were like, no, those are the colors of red and blue blended together. Those are also the colors that black churches throw up when the pastor dies. Stay with me. Hillary had to gather herself. She looked like she'd been up all night crying. She looked like she might have been drugged to be calm to, to do a public concession speech. I get it. I get it. You tell me you need a couple days to process what just happened when you were sure you were going to get this thing that you wanted. I get that. Sir, sir, it's been two months. Your people have filed a total of 61 claims with the courts trying to overturn or fight some aspect of this election. And 60 of those 61 times, you've been rejected. The man that you were on the phone with being like, can we just find like, what did he say? 11,780 votes. Where are he going to find these votes? Because Georgia has been counted to my recollection four times. There was the original count and there were three recounts and then the ballots were certified. So it's going to be counted four times and be certified. And he going to go back and look and be like, oh, look what I just found. It's for real, y'all. Sir, how can that happen? What you're asking this man to do to go find ballots that don't fucking exist? Selection fraud. It's election tampering. It's illegal. I'm not even a goddamn lawyer. And I know that calling somebody and being like, hey, so about this election that didn't go in my favor, I need you to go do some shit to flip that shit for me. Sir, this is real life. This is not an episode from a scandal. You could go to jail for this shit. Trump had at least two or three lawyers on the phone. Nobody jumped in and was like, Mr. President, Mr. President. Nobody disconnected the line. No one stopped him. What the fuck is the point of legal counsel if they not counseling your ass? Now, I mentioned this on Facebook. One of the readers was like, girl, them lawyers just there so they don't get fined. They don't give a damn. He was really on this call and he was like, you have to do something. Because like, I won Georgia by hundreds of thousands of votes. You did? You didn't. You didn't. Sir, you did not. I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how he arrived here. Like, are you really sitting in a bubble listening to a bunch of people lie to you? Like, are you, you're reading no credible news sources? The, the 60 cases that have been thrown out, like, you just think it's a, a grand conspiracy? At the point that, that you put three people on the Supreme Court in the last four years, one of them you rushed through, right? Three people on the Supreme Court that you appointed, they won't even hear the case. 
They won't even hear you out. I'm referring to that lawsuit where Texas tried to sue other states and they tried to take to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court was like, what is this? At the point where people you appointed, judges, Republican judges that you appointed won't hear you out. When a Republican governor of Georgia was like, no, sir, no. Where the Republican secretary of state in Georgia who has said publicly, I voted for his ass twice. I'm a Republican. What do you want? When even he is like, sir, no, no. It's other Republicans being like, sir, no. Raffensperger, Brad, who is no hero. His people recorded the tape and he said, as long as Trump doesn't come for me, as long as he doesn't mischaracterize our conversation, we just going to have the tape as backup and we going to let it chill. And then Trump got on Twitter and was calling Brad out and Brad was like, uh-uh, the truth will come out. And then suddenly the tape appears. Brad ain't no hero. Brad voted for this foolishness twice. Brad's ass ain't trying to go to jail for this mofo. Brad was like, absolutely not. You're not going to tie me up in your corruption schemes. I, I got ambitions in politics. I'm not going down with this sinking ship. But he ain't Jesus. He don't walk on water. Trump sat on that call. He was talking about all sorts of debunked conspiracy theories. He was like, they're moving the machines. And either Brad or his attorney were like, uh, no, they, they haven't moved any machines. He was like, well, they're taking the parts out of the machines. And, and they were like, no, that, that's not happening. He was like, well, dead people were voting. And they were like, yeah, we looked into that. And Trump was like, see, it was thousands of people. And they were like, no, we, um, we did a, a thorough investigation of that. It was two, just two. He went on and on and on. And finally, Brad was like, look, I believe the challenge that you have is that your data is wrong. I think that's professional speak for somebody that told you wrong. After the tape came out, Trump was talking about he going to sue Brad for releasing a tape, recording him without permission. Here's a fun fact that I learned in J school first semester. In order to record a phone call in most states, not all, but most states, you only need one party consent, which means if one person actually on the call gives consent to record the phone call, then it's legal. Now in California, you can't, you need two party consent. In Georgia, where Brad was on the phone, one party consent. In DC, one party consent. Sue Brad for what? Nothing he did was illegal. Now Brad says people in his office recorded the call, but Brad gave consent to that. So what do you want? But I was like, the man is just out here on Twitter. Like, I'm going to sue you. Like, you're the whole president of the United States and you can't do a quick Google search about one party consent. And you don't have an attorney that you can reasonably turn to and be like, hey, what are the consent laws before I get on Twitter and threaten to sue this dude? Didn't even bother. It's a sorry state of affairs. The new year for me will begin when Trump is officially out of office. Because I feel like these next 15 days, I'm scared to turn on CNN. Because although I like to joke and I'd be like, oh my God, America season finale and this is America and hashtag this is barely America. These recaps that I do online about the current political landscape really to keep my sanity. It started as an exercise for my screenwriting classes in the A story, the B story and the C story. And then it just spun into its own thing. I write them as if it's a show and it's some sort of alternate reality because it's so crazy to live it. I need to disassociate from it somehow. 
And that's my way of sort of like looking at the crazy for what it is and putting it out there that this shit is crazy because it's been crazy, ongoing crazy for so long. I feel like sometimes people think that this shit is normal and that it's okay. And I feel like these next two weeks, starting with today and the outcome of this election in Georgia, I feel like we're about to be on a downhill sliding shit show into a bigger pile of shit. And then maybe once Biden gets into office, people will finally get out their shovels. Oh, speaking of of Georgia, the occupant did have one lucid moment in the madness of his phone call when he was discussing Stacey Abrams. He told the Secretary of State, Stacey Abrams is laughing about you. She's going around saying these guys are dumber than a rock. What she's done to this party is unbelievable, I tell you. What Stacey Abrams has done to the Republican Party is the stuff of legends. We will be unpacking her revenge plot for decades to come, especially if the Democrats can pull off this win in the Senate later today. For those of you who are not sure exactly what I'm talking about, please allow me to explain. I can never speak enough good things about the Stacey. After her chance to be governor in Georgia was stolen from her, essentially, she started a voter registration network. And over the matter of a couple years, she registered over 800,000 voters in the state of Georgia, many of them black and brown and young, and many of them voted in the last election and they voted overwhelmingly for Biden. So that 11,780 that the occupant is bitching about on this call with with the Secretary of State, this 11,780 that he is risking his freedom for, that he is doing illegal shit for, that's all Stacey Abrams right there. Georgia has been a red state, at least for the POTUS election, since the 90s. I think Clinton might have been the last person that turned Georgia blue. Don't quote me on that. If Stacey had been allowed her rightful and earned win to be governor in Georgia, she would have been too busy governing and worried about a pandemic to run around registering voters. But she had some downtime because the election was taken from her. And she is using that downtime well to give hell to the Republican Party. May God continue to bless her and the voters of Georgia, especially on today. Please, Georgia, do not let us down today. The nation, the Democrats need you. The blacks need you. People of sanity, people who want a normal life again, need you. No pressure, lots of pressure. Please, Georgia, please, Georgia, help. So that is the podcast for Not for this week, but for today. I'll be back on Friday as promised. Ratchet and Respectable is going twice a week in 2021. So I will be back on Friday, no doubt talking about whatever happens in Georgia today and whatever other interesting news events, pop culture conversations of interest that come up. So we'll talk soon, sooner than later. If you need some Ratchet and Respectable in your life before Friday, you can follow me on social media at Demetria L. Lucas across all platforms. And if you need some Ratchet and Respectable merchandise in your life, that's on DemetriaLLucas.com. So I think that is everything for today. Talk Friday. Okay, 
บาย